Hello and welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name is Michael and I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason and I'm still invincible as an Arsenal fan. Well, I was about to say it's been quite a bad week for our clubs, but I suppose Watford's victory over Liverpool has at least given Arsenal something to shout about after the... I'll let Jason decide what adjective he wants to use to describe it, but humiliating is the word I'd use, exit to Olympiacos in the Europa League. And then I've just come back from watching Spurs lose 3-2 to Wolves. So not the best of weeks. But Jason, how are you feeling after that Europa League exit? And is that the end of Arsenal's season? Or given the way the top four race is shaping up, do you have hopes of a, of a late run for a, a Champions League spot maybe come the end of the season? Well, based on that introduction, I think I should start a little bit positively. You know, still 49-49 undefeated, still invincible, gold trophy, Wenger's boys, yada, yada, yada. Very happy. Um, can't complain um, about that front now. Uh, so Arsenal still have something special in Premier League history. Um, Thursday night. I think I've kind of, I think I've kind of numbed the pain. I'm so used to it that it kind of just, it was kind of obvious that it was going to happen, especially when they got the goal, when it went to in- extra time. You just had this feeling that even when we scored... They're not going to be able to keep it. Um, I'm, gu- I'm I'm less angry. I used to be quite angry and critical of the players and the management. But with this case, I'm just upset because it was really unfortunate what happened that late in those circumstances with away goals, with aggregate. I mean, it was it's 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 really upsetting because I think everyone thought had this little feeling. That you know we'd got to the semi-final before we got to the final. Maybe this time we could go and win it. Would have been our way through to the Champions League and our Tetis first season. But it's not meant to be, and maybe it's a good thing. Looking at it a bit philosophically, perhaps you know it would have sugarcoated what is the worst Arsenal team I've ever seen in my life, um, in terms of a collective unit and individually. And the team needs serious um, refreshing. I mentioned that I wouldn't criticise players, but. The truth is, for that, if we look at that goal, even though it wasn't a whole performance, there is no way that Socrates should not be goal side to mark to mark the man who scored. He'd just come on. He was a substitute. So, what, he suddenly doesn't have the energy? And Leno, I've, ba- I've been banging on about it week after week after week on this podcast to friends. Everyone says, no, he's great. He's not. He's not good enough for this club. He's weak in the air. He's not authoritative. And by giving away the corner and not having a good attempt to try and save that goal just summed up my point that uh, Leno is not Arsenal's number one or if he is by by name he isn't by um, he isn't by stature and and, and undeservedly so that, those are my two um, people I'd like to bring out but yeah you you mentioned about kind of what does it do for our top hope, four hopes well I guess it's one less Thursday night um, to worry about Um who knows whether that can make the difference when we're playing teams who are playing in Europe? Um, it might help our freshness. You know, we've got to, we've got to be positive. You know, we're, we're five points off fifth place if that is to be the Champions League threshold this year. We've got the game in hand, albeit against, be it against City, um, the FA Cup against Portsmouth, a very winnable tie, so that could put us through to the quarterfinals. Um, so I think I'm. I'm not as devastated as I usually would be because I think a few weeks ago, if this had happened, I would have said, oh God, we're really out of the 
race for the top four. That was our last chance. Whilst we're up against it, and based on current form, you'd say it's near impossible, I think if we can get a good run together um, and this top five still exists based on City's ban, um, we could have a good un- end to the season. And um, but, but I think everything is based on the summer on the summer rebuild. You know, it's all going to be about this season was the write-off. We're looking at who are the ones who who are salvageable, getting the club back to its attitude and, and kind of the love back into the club and the positivity back. And then the real work starts this summer. Um, and kind of turning the ties to you, I guess. I mean, it seems like there's a bit of a Spurs decline. You know, losing in the Champions League, albeit you might do something in the return leg, but it's not ideal going away to a, to a very good Leipzig team. Um, cracks in the Premier League, conceding left, right and centre. The lineup seemed to be erratic from game to game, completely changing, especially at the back, whereas Spurs were so solid at the back once upon a time. Um, and Jose Mourinho then again blaming everything but himself and his team. So I just wonder whether you feel, coming back from the game, that there's a sense of deja vu, kind of back to um, kind of early Pochettino days. Well, I think, I mean, in some sense, yes, because the, the problems with the defence have been there since around this time last year. It's not a new issue that, you know, we've been conceding goals left, right and centre. It was happening for the last year under Pochettino. And I think even though Mourinho obviously has that reputation for being able to organise defence, I think there's only so much he can do coming in mid-season to change things, particularly given all the injury problems and all the behind-the-scenes issues that we had with the Ericsson situation and the Danny Rose situation. We are a team in transition at the moment, moving from from one set of players to another. You look at the the spine or the, the core of that that peak Pochettino side, and it's either not there because of injury or, or not there because they've been sold, whether it be Rose and Walker, or whether it be Dembele and Wanyama, whether it be Ericsson, so many of the key players who were behind the, the, the I mean, glory days probably isn't the right word to use given we never won a trophy, but the, the title challenges and, and all the good stuff under Pochettino, the players who achieved that either aren't here anymore or aren't the players that they once were. And so it is a difficult patch and I think you are going to see this inconsistency and in everything that you just said about Arsenal and, and this season being a write-off and, and moving towards the summer, I think all of that applies to Tottenham. I mean, when Mourinho came in, we were 14th, we were 12 points off the, the top four and really we were in relegation form. We might not have been in a relegation battle at that moment in time, but defensively it was relegation form. And I read the other day, I don't know if this is true, but to be honest, it, it sounds correct that Norwich, who are bottom have kept more clean sheets than we have, which says it all. And when you hear something like that, I mean, it's a miracle that we're even in the top four race. I mean, really defensively, we sh- we should probably be in the relegation battle. Um, and so I think Mourinho, to be fair to him, does deserve some credit for getting us into the top four equation, even if I don't think we're going to be successful in that. He has got us competing again, despite all of the issues that have been going on in, in the squad. And despite continually, every time we get a player back from injury, another one falls down. It's like, oh, great, Larissa's is back. Oh, but, now, but then again, today he was injured. Oh, we've got Ben Davies back, but oh, Sizoko's out. Oh, you know, Kane's out. Okay, we've got Son. Oh, now Son's injured. It's kind of one thing after another with the injury front. And I don't think you can really blame him for that. I don't think you can necessarily blame him for defensive issues which predate his appointment. You can maybe ex- expect a bit more improvement to have happened. But I think, t- to be fair to him, you have to give him the full summer and the full pre-season. And so many of the goals we concede, it's just the same as it was under Pochettino. Individual errors, players making the same old mistakes. 
and they're not as good as other people think they are and they're not as good as they think they are and I actually think it's quite an interesting comparison Arteta and Mourinho because the clubs were in relatively similar situations when the, the two managers came in and I think Mourinho just purely looking at the numbers and the results has done a better job than Arteta thus far I mean there was that stat the other week that only Liverpool and Man City had taken more points than Tottenham since Mourinho had come in Obviously, we're ahead of you in the league at the moment. But, I mean, if results don't go our way the next couple of weeks, we could be 10th the way things are going and you could be above us. But for the time being, at least, in terms of results, Mourinho has, I think, done a creditable job in terms of getting us back into contention. But he doesn't seem to be getting the same praise that someone like Arteta is, even though I think Arsenal's results haven't been incredible under him. I mean, I remember watching the coverage, I think it was before the Newcastle game, and I was shocked to realise in the pre-match coverage there that and before that game, he'd only won one match in the league or something like that, where given the the, the, the talk around him and the coverage, I, I would have thought he'd been doing much better than that. And you have had a couple of impressive results. The, the draw away against Chelsea was good, obviously the win against Man U. But then you see something like that Olympiakos thing, which was the most Spursy thing I've seen perhaps all season. And, and that's saying something, because Spurs have done a lot of Spursy things this season. And I can't help but think that if that happened under under Mourinho, he'd be getting a lot more criticism for it than Arteta seems to be. And it seems to be the general consensus is Arteta's being given the benefit of the doubt, even though he hasn't had anywhere near the same injury issues that Mourinho has, whereas Mourinho gets a lot more criticism. And I can understand why, because it's Mourinho and because he, as you said, deflects onto everyone else and always makes himself the centre of attention. And obviously there's that baggage there. But I actually think that, that both managers deserve to be given a full summer and pre-season until we can fairly judge them. And actually, Mourinho has been doing a marginally better job than Arteta, but not getting anywhere near the same praise. And one thing that I was wondering, although our, our recent results, and particularly our result today, suggests this might not be the case. But when I saw what happened against the Olympiacos, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if Mourinho had become manager of Arsenal, as was rumoured earlier in the season, would they have lost that game in that way? And I'm not sure that you would have done. And it's not just because we beat Olympiacos in the Champions League in his first home game 4-2. And obviously, we've been making our mistakes under Mourinho as well. It's, you know, if you couldn't fix us in however long he's been here, he wouldn't necessarily have done the same with Arsenal. But I couldn't help but wonder whether, obviously, it's Arteta's first full-time managerial job. Do you think that under a more experienced manager, you would have lost that game in that way? And are you worried about Arteta's lack of experience because I, I always thought under Pochettino he was a still a young up-and-coming manager and sometimes you could sense that in some of the biggest games and do you have that concern about Arteta and do you think under other management because I mean Emery got you to a Europa League final you lost it but he got you there and he'd won a few of them are you worried that Arteta maybe doesn't have the experience and he's going to be learning on the job with Arsenal and you might pay the price for that along the way I think you're right in the fact that there's there seems to be a little bit of naivety. You know, when, when Aubameyang scored that amazing goal, it didn't seem like we, we had a game plan. I think we got, you could even see by Arteta's celebration, they got very carried away, kind of thought it was over and was still kind of going for it, as you could see with that Lacazette chance at the end, albeit that was in response to the goal that Olympiakos scored. Um, I think Arteta is very much an idealistic type of manager of the... Wenger and Guardiola ilk you know they want to play their style and everyone it doesn't matter who we're playing this is going to be what Arsenal are known for and I, th- I think Jose has always shown in his career that he's been very adaptive you know to, to the players he's got to the situations 
um, it's easy to do when you've got the best players in the league. You know, Wenger had it in the early 2000s. Um, Pep had it a few years ago and things and things change. You know, Liverpool have had it. They had a blip this week, but they do still have that. Um, Arteta doesn't have that luxury. The truth is that in terms of giving these managers benefit of the doubt, I think why people are a little bit fairer on Arteta is, yes, the, the, the job is his first job. So you have to give some sort of leeway in terms of that, because if the players are allowed to make mistakes, managers can make the mistakes. I understand that. Um, but also, I think that it's, um, I think it's based on the long term. It's the, it's the, it's the long term plan that Arteta has built and is building. You know, he's been playing some players in and out and changing players' positions. And I think, I think we have that faith in him to be the right man going forward because we know he has a plan. He's outlined it to the, to the, to the media and to the fans and said, listen, this, He's almost admitted this has been a tough season. It's still a tough season. It's going to be tough. But the players, I'm going to remind them how far we've come, how we need to stick together, yada, yada, yada. He's looking for the core players that are going to build this team. I don't think he believes it's Lacazette or Aubameyang. I don't believe he thinks it's Ozil. I think he's looking at the boys such as Saka and Martinelli and um, and the like, and even Bellerin to an extent, um, to be the kind of core spine of this new Arsenal team and we need to have a little faith in in the fact that yes there there was always going to be a dip and funnily enough Emery was similar to Wenger's last season in his first season and that probably wasn't good because it meant nothing was changing when it needs to change whereas Arteta whilst we might have that short-term pain I think it's that long-term gain that would be truly impressive whereas from what I see with Mourinho, it, I don't see what's... I, I, he's bringing in a couple of young players. The new signing, like, Bergerwin, very good. Chelsea, very good. But is it... Does it look like a, a, the exciting Spurs team a few years ago saying, oh my God, the sky is the limit? I don't know anymore. I don't... As a, as a I'm not a neutral fan, but looking as a fan of football... Do I see an exciting project of Spurs at this second in time? No, I don't actually, from an external perspective, I don't know what you're actually trying to do. It seems to be head above water. Whereas from an Arsenal perspective, I can see it very, very clearly. Um, and that might just be pure fan bias talking. Um, but at the same time, I just, I think, I think it's all about outlining that vision. And I, I would not know what Spurs' vision is. And I, I wonder as a fan whether whether you know what it is. You know, Arsenal always known as that kind of free-flowing Barcelona-like side, which we haven't been for a long time. Um, who are Tottenham Hotspur? Well, it's funny because I was about to say, I think a lot of Spurs fans would agree with you in saying that they can't see what the long-term vision is under Mourinho. And I think part of the, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that the reason for the, the, the difference in how they're both being perceived at the moment is to do with the long-term aspect of it because Mourinho even at the, the clubs where he's been most successful hasn't been around a long time has been the classic you know third season syndrome where that's when it all starts to go wrong so we know that even if Mourinho is a success at Tottenham he's probably not going to be around for the long term and then you start to think well what are you then after that and we know 
again, as you said, that Mourinho is very pragmatic. He'll do what he has to do to win that game, which if you've got the best players and you're winning and you know that that's building up to winning a title or a trophy, then it's fine. But if you're in a club in the situation we are where you need to build something to be able to compete, is that always going to work? And I think there, there are signs of promise, I think, with the new signings, like you said, with Bergwijn, with Lacelso, with some of the younger players coming through, Tanganga, Ryan Sessegnon, everybody's going crazy about Troy Parrott, even though I think half of the fans who are desperate for him to play have, have, have never even seen him kick a ball before. I think they're just so desperate for a striker and so desperate for the next Harry Kane to come through that they're hoping that this kid might be it. Um, but I think the problem is, is we're, we're still trying to work out who who is still going to be sticking around as well. Is Vertonghen going to sign a new contract or is he going to leave at the end of the season? Danny Rose is out on loan. He's probably gone. I think there's so much up in the air about which players will be around that I think the summer is just going to be so huge in terms of working out what that vision is and, and how we're going to go forward. Because I think there's going to need to be a big clear out in the squad, new players brought in. And I think once there's that certainty around the club in terms of the playing staff, then and also that opportunity for Mourinho to imprint whatever he wants his vision to be, then it will start to become clearer. And I think Mourinho has very much been just doing what he, he can at this moment in time to win each game. And I think, he, I mean, he's pretty much said himself, I can't wait until the 1st of July. He wants this season over so he can build. I don't even know if he's, I think part of the confusion is because I don't even think Mourinho is looking at this moment in time as an opportunity to to build something. It almost seems like he's looking at it from game to game. What can I do to win this game? What can I do just to get us to the end of the season? Is that the best attitude to take? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But I think that's also part of the reason why I'm holding judgment until next season. And, it, and if next season the performances and the results are just as inconsistent and things are just as confused and there's still no clear idea where we're heading, then I think all the criticism will be justified and, and people will be right to to say that he's not the right man. But I think at this moment in time, it's still, you know, I, I agree basically to answer your question. I don't think there's a clear vision of where we're going at the moment. But I think a lot of that is because of the present circumstances. And I guess it's quite hard to build something when you don't have maybe the players at your disposal who you want to. I'm sure he would be wanting to, whatever Mourinho's long-term vision is, I'm sure Kane and Son and Larice are all big parts of it. And none of them are able to play at the moment. And I'm sure he has ideas as well of players he wants to bring in, players he wants to get rid of that he can't at the moment. So I think that's part of it as well. We don't have necessarily the tools at our disposal to to outline what it would look like. Um, but yeah, it's I wouldn't say it's necessarily a worrying time because I think Mourinho is a manager who I I, I still rate and think could do a good job. And I think there's enough you can start you can start to see glimmers of what the new team is going to look like with. Tanganga and the Celso and Bergwijn and you can start to see the, the the team that could be built out of it but it could go either way and to be honest I'm really looking at the FA Cup as the big opportunity to you know I don't think we'll probably win it because probably Man City or, or someone will, will go and win it to, to take out the anger that they can't win the Premier League but I think that's a huge opportunity for him to get the fans on side and give people an idea of what they're heading towards. If we can get that trophy finally, I think it will calm people down. I think it will give people confidence in Jose and, and let people think, well, if, if we can do that in a bad season, 
then what can we do in a good season? And interestingly, Alderweireld him, himself the other day said, this isn't the real Tottenham at the moment. I'm sure once we've had a full pre-season next season, you know, you'll start to see what we're building under Jose. So I just have to trust that there is going to be a plan once we've got the players to do it. But it certainly isn't as clear as it seems to be uh, with Arteta at Arsenal. And in Europe, it must feel like a strange feeling because obviously the highs of last year, the only way you're going to beat that is by getting there again and potentially winning the whole thing. Um, in terms of optimism around the club, and I guess from being around there today, do you feel that there's any, there's always hope? But does there feel like there's any realistic hope um, next week of, of, of bringing home the, uh, the win? Uh, I'd probably say no. I think I know today the atmosphere was very, even when we were winning, the atmosphere seemed very almost defeatist and flat. And when I was leaving, I heard someone singing the Pochettino song mm. and there were some boos at full time. And I think there's a lot of fans who have just never accepted Mourinho coming in and have no patience for him whatsoever. And I think it is going to take something big to, to, for him to get them back on side, which is why I think an FA Cup win could be so huge um, in terms of doing that or something like repeating last season's heroics in the Champions League. But I, I can't see us doing that again. I mean, it was pretty fluky last time and it was when we had, okay, Kane was out, but we had Son. We had a, a better team then, I think, than we, than we do now. I mean, obviously, I hope we can turn it around. And I think there is still part of the fan base that thinks Mourinho in the big games is still capable of pulling something out of the hat. I mean, the 2-0 win over Man City, for example, was amazing. And that day, the atmosphere was great. But before, OK, we, we rode our luck a little bit with the penalty save and all the rest of it. But still, that was a huge opponent, huge game and a huge win. And I think that gave people optimism. But in general, I think that the mood is is very depressed. People can't really see see as achieving much. And I think Mourinho kind of reflects that with you know his sentiment of he wishes the season was over. I think a lot of fans do as well. I think they just want to get to the end of the season. I think the expectations have really kind of fallen, you know, fallen off a cliff. Anything we achieve, I think, will be seen as as a bonus because I think so many people now have written off written off the top four and hope that we can win the FA Cup, but probably aren't as optimistic as maybe they were even a week ago. I think the the loss to Chelsea and the loss to Leipzig in the same week, I think, probably killed any lingering hope that there was because for the second time this season, we went into a match against Chelsea knowing that if we beat them, we could leapfrog them into the top four. Both times going in thinking, OK, this is the moment where we do it. This is what makes our season. Both times, they're quite disappointing performances. We lose the Champions League loss on top of that. Now this defeat to Wolves, I think the the mood has really turned and it would take getting to an FA Cup final or managing to get into the Champions League quarterfinal to, to turn it around. Or finishing top four, but I mean, I, I I can't see that happening. Not even fifth at this rate. I mean, it, it's so fluid there at the moment. And to be honest, a team like Wolves, I think, probably deserve it more. I mean, the way they've managed to balance the Europa League while staying competitive in the Premier League, I think it's a model that, that all the other top six clubs should be following, really. It makes you uh, a little bit nostalgic for the good old days of Spurs, whatever they actually look like. And um in spirit of City's 2-1 victory today, I have a little game for us. Uh, and it's two truths and one lie about Tottenham Hotspur. So I have three rounds here. Um, in each round, I have three facts, or rather two facts about Tottenham Hotspur and one fake fact. 
and your job is to spot the fake one. Do you think you know your Spurs well enough to do this game? I don't know. I guess we're about to find out. Right, so round one. I will state one by one the facts. Please tell me which one you believe is false. Tottenham Hotspur have the record for the most goals scored in Premier League games. Tottenham Hotspur Rugby Club created Tottenham Hotspur FC so they could have a sport in the winter to play. And the club's name, Tottenham Hotspur, was derived from a Shakespeare character called Harry Hotspur, famed for his bravery in battle and never riding without his spurs. I'm going to say the rugby club because I thought it was the cricket club but maybe I've just got my sports mixed up and, and that's correct but I'm going to go with that one and say that's a trick because it's actually it was the cricket club who set it up absolutely spot on it was the cricket club Ooh. who created Tottenham Hotspur FC so you found the lie in round one well done right here are three more facts Spurs is goalkeeper I won't say who because maybe they don't exist, became the first Premier League substitute ever in 1992. White Hart Lane was originally a distillery. And Spurs were the the only, at the time, non-league team to win an FA Cup. So the FA Cup one is definitely true. Um, the first substitute one, I have no idea, but that sounds like it could be true. No, no, I don't think it is true, actually, because I don't think I'm guessing there must have been a substitution in the very whatever the very first Premier League game was. And I don't think we were in that. So maybe it's that one. I was going to say the White Hart Lane Distillery one. Although, hmm, I don't know, the, the goalkeeper substitution seems very specific. Hmm. Is it the distillery one? Sorry, say that again? Is it is the distil- White Hart Lane being a distillery, is that the, the false one? It is, because in fact, White Hart Lane was originally a um, disused nursery. Oh, wow. Yeah, so quite close. But um, yeah, apparently Spurs' goalkeeper... Eric Thorstvet became the first Premier League sub in 1992. Wow. I read that a couple of times through and I was like, how can that be? That's crazy. Oh, that is, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Put him in the, the Premier League Hall of Fame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should have a quick debate on that in a moment. Um, last one. Hopefully I can trick you here. Jimmy Greaves, top, top goal scorer with 300 goals of all time. Um, the Spurs club parrot, used to have a pet parrot, died on the day Spurs last lost their first division place to Arsenal. And Spurs once won by a 13-2 scoreline in the FA Cup. So how many goals did you say for Jimmy Greaves? 300. I'm going to say he scored less than that 266 266 exactly 
You got me. <laughs> I thought it, I had a chance there. It was recently Jimmy Greaves' 80th birthday, and there was a big kind of a commemorative program and little celebration at halftime of the Leipzig game. So I, I was had my Jimmy Greaves stats at the front of my mind. Oh, no. See, that's what happens when I don't go to the Tottenham Stadium. I lose <laughs> games. We mentioned, um, or I mentioned briefly there, the Premier League Hall of Fame. And I yes. wanted to, to ask you which Arsenal players or managers you think would be worthy of inclusion in that. Hmm. Well, I was thinking first off about who those first two are going to be. And I think I have a pretty good idea and it wouldn't be an Arsenal player. Um, I mean, it's you, you, there's no way you can't put Arsene Wenger in there based on the Invincible season. Um and in terms of players, it's a tough one. I think I think we all have that Thierry Henry at our hearts as a kind of iconic Premier League player as well. But you could you could really put forward the case for so many players in title winning teams. I mean you could you could argue for so many players it could get ridiculous. But I think I think if I was to give a manager and a player, it would be Thierry Henry and Arsene Wenger. And how about you? I mean in terms of Spurs' success in the Premier League era, I'd say it's been a bit average. But um, I'm sure if you had if you had the option, there may be a player or two um, you would add in there. Yeah, well, I mean, this is part of my issue, actually, with this, this being a, a Premier League Hall of Fame, is that it discounts so many historic football figures from before 1992. And I know people joke about, oh, football was invented with the Premier League, but it, it, it kind of feels a shame that, I know obviously the Premier League is a sort of distinct competition, but still it's it's a shame that the, the Hall of Fame will be so um, limited in a way in the, in the people it can, can choose from. And I'm not just saying that because, as you said, Tottenham haven't won a title since uh, the, the Premier League was a thing. Um, but thinking through, I mean, it's probably it is too early for Harry Kane, obviously, to be in there because he's still playing. Um I think players like, I guess it's, yeah, it's how much weight do you put on actually having won the Premier League in order to be in there, I think. I mean, I I know exactly who you're thinking of, I think, and I would not even put him near, but then I have criticism about the myth about him anyway, so. Who do you think I'm thinking of? I think I'm thinking of Ledley King. Well, I I do think he's, he was, I mean, the problem is he was so, um, Injury, his knee injury completely wrecked how his career could have panned out because I think he would have been huge had he been able to play more often. Um, certainly, he's someone who, if, if clubs were had to nominate people, Ledley King is someone who I'm sure the club would want to put forward. Maybe someone like, um, I mean, Robbie Keane. I'd love Robbie Keane to be in there. I mean, he's played for quite a few different clubs. Um, Maybe David Ginola, I think, would be cool to have in there. Um, who else? Jamie O'Hara. I mean, Jamie O'Hara, I think, is going to be one of the first two names in there. I mean, I think if they build a statue of him, they could put one with a pencil as well. <laughs> it would be Jamie O'Hara and Alan Shearer. Those would be the first two names in there. Jermaine Genus as well, obviously. Uh, Steve Malbronk. Steve Malbronk. You've got to have the noble steed in there. Uh, Didier Zakora. Paul Robinson. Timu Tainio. Timu Tainio, yeah, he is a legend. Pascal oh, Chimbonda, Dimitar yeah. Berbatov, maybe Dimitar Berbatov. He did win a Premier League with Man United. He did. Very iconic player, but uh, known for his 
habits of laziness on the field. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. If you were to rank players 1 to 20 and, and start building down who would be in that Hall of Fame, I don't believe that a Spurs player would be in there. Well, I think our, our best Premier League players, I mean, purely based the fact that we've had our best Premier League points totals and, and table finishes in these last few years means that this current crop of players are probably our best players in the Premier League era. And obviously it's too soon for them to be in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, you start to think about all these legends, you know, Drogba would be in there, Lampard and Gerrard, Ferdinand, Giggs, Neville, Beckham, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo even, based on just his United career, John Terry. I mean, it's so many players. Gareth Bale. Well, I was thinking about that. And again, I think the same argument, same argument as the rest of them. He is not in the league as a Premier League legend as the rest of those guys I just mentioned. There's no way. I guess the problem is if you if you were to limit, because obviously we naturally think of players who have won won the Premier League, but there's only a small handful of clubs that have done that. So if the Hall of Fame is only limited to players from United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, and what Leicester, Blackburn, I guess, won the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got all these other clubs who have been in the Premier League for so long who, who won't have players there. It's... But I think it's not a charity case. It's about who's been <laughs> the best player in Premier League history. Who you know, you if you're, have... even if you're putting up Jamie Vardy against Harry Kane, it doesn't matter the amount of goals. Jamie Vardy almost single-handedly won them that title, and he's he's got to be in there. I would say with alongside Claudio Ranieri was you know. Harry Redknapp, you know, and uh, Luka Modric didn't exactly uh, <laughs> do much. I just, I just, I mean, I, I'm not trying to make it an anti-Spurs thing because Arsenal would have that Invincibles team and no one else after. But what would Lauren, would Lauren, the right back from the Invincibles, be in there? I don't really, you know, really. Like you think, <laughs> oh, what's, you know, he, he didn't really, canoe. Uh, I, I, Anelka? I don't know. You, you, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Um, what about someone like Gareth Barry, for instance, who had that like appearance record? That yeah. Everyone about the like, is you know, is turning up enough? He was. <laughs> he's, he's basically played almost the whole Premier League. Well, I turned up to work every day, and I didn't become the CEO <laughs> or a lifetime ambassador. So I don't know. I mean, he did win the league with City, didn't he? Well, yeah, I was about to say, he, I, I guess he was part of it. Although, did, did was he still playing? Yeah, he must have been. But then does Fabian Delft for becoming a left-back at City win it, get one? James Milner's definitely in there, I suppose, if you go with that logic. And, you know, Aguero obviously is probably another obvious one based on pure, purely... I wonder how much Aguero's reputation is based on the Aguero moment. Yeah, because, I mean, for me, that is the best probably non-Spurs, non-England football moment I've ever experienced. Yeah, Just the sure. drama of it. Yeah. That's probably the defining Premier League moment even of our generation even, probably. Yeah. Last day, last minute. It, you know, hardly gets better than that, really. But if, if that hadn't happened, and you said, just like, think about Aguero, I mean, I think, yeah, great goal scorer, but would I see him more... Would I see him in a light more than uh, Kevin Phillips? I don't know. Probably, <laughs> probably not. You love Kevin Phillips. I do love Kevin Phillips as a good example. I mean, he was a proper... I mean, he's, you know, 
Benteke's probably got a decent goal scoring record. Maybe that's a little bit harsh, but Divock even. Yeah, yeah. As as Klopp said himself, Premier League legend. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Hall of Famer. You heard it here first. I mean, yeah, why not? Kevin Davis, maybe, you know. Well, I've just Googled Kevin Phillips. <laughs> Phillips was the Premier League top scorer in the 1999-2000 season with 30 goals for Sunderland. Right. A tally which won him the European Golden Shoe. He remains the only Englishman to win the trophy. There we go. I told you, that's my example for Harry Kane. That he's just he's just the modern-day Kevin Phillips. Is that true? I can't yeah. believe that. Yeah. Kevin Phillips was a class act. And we forget, you know, we, whilst you say the Premier League starts in 92... It seems like Spurs fans think the Premier League uh, started in 2009 when they drew 4-4 with Arsenal. (laughs) That was the turning point that suddenly changed their club's history, which in a way, I mean, I feel my friendship with you, the the defining moment of the Spurs-Arsenal dynamic changed on that day. Or actually probably the 5-1 in the Carling Cup. That was the day. That was the day. That was the day where it was over. The invincibility against Spurs was over. St. Totteringham's day would soon be no longer. (laughs) And it's, um, I mean, it's interesting, this Hall of Fame. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause a lot of divide and people don't even know what it is. They've just said there's going to be something. We don't know whether it's a museum or a, or a metaphorical digital tidbit in the universe. <laughs> I mean, I mean, who knows what, re- what it really means? It doesn't mean anything. We already <laughs> celebrate these players. They all have their, their uh, trophies. And all, and everyone knows that they're legends. Um, will it just rub salts into wounds? And again, as you... As you say, kind of build the divide between the big clubs and the small clubs even more. I mean, it'll be, it's going to be really fascinating actually to see where that goes. But it seems like another gimmick, and and to be honest, it 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 could be the start of another proof point towards that kind of European Super League um, to get the big boys away from all the small boys. I think you're. I agree with absolutely everything you said there. But I think one thing, if anything good, can come out of this Hall of Fame. I think Cannon and Cockrell, if, if there's anything that you can unite Tottenham fans and Arsenal fans, I think Cannon and Cockrell should start the campaign to get Kevin Phillips in the Hall of Fame. I agree. Today. I'd be very happy to support that campaign. Having just read about that golden shoe thing, I think he's now a legitimate candidate for it. And I'd actually quite like to get Harry Kane in there for his services to not winning the league. I think it's impressive how he has worked so hard to bottle it. Well, speaking of bottlers, actually, one question I wanted to ask you about Bumiang and that miss. And I, it reminded me of his penalty miss against us at Wembley last season. If he'd scored, you could have finished in the top four. I know he's near the end of his, near the end of his contract. Should you sell a Bumiang while you can? Is he the man for the big occasion? I think we won't have a choice because I think that crime at the end is not just based on the miss. It's what that miss represented. And it's that... I think he thought this was our year. I can get Arsenal into the Champions League. I can play with this club I'm captaining. I can stay in London. All is fine and dandy. But I think he's going to have, someone's going to have a word in his ear and say, right, this club's not good enough for you. You can play at the level of Barca, Madrid, Juve, PSG, what you like. He's, he's good. In my city, in my opinion, Liverpool even, he's good. He is good enough as a player going to any club. He might only have a couple of good years left in him. Um, He's too good for Arsenal. And I don't say that often with a lot of players. Um, Lacazette at peak playing ability, the same applies. But based on his attitude and the whole atmosphere around him at the club at the moment, probably not. 
Um, if I was Aubameyang, and as a fan, I would not blame him for leaving this summer. And I think he should, because I think Arsenal need to get away from this reliance on one big player and start to really balance the books a bit um, in each position, like Liverpool have, um, and like City do as well, and all the big clubs should do. Um, but I'll be gutted to see him go. You know, I've really enjoyed watching him play. You know, he, he for me, follows that ilk of, you know, the Van Persies and the Fabregas and the Lex Sanchez, you know, exciting players who do special things. Um, I mean, it's unbelievable how he can score a goal like that and then miss a chance like that within a few minutes of each other. Um, but that's football and that's fate. And maybe we're not meant to go through in the next round and uh, clearly not meant to win the whole thing. And, and I, th- I think that will be the defining moment of him at Arsenal again. You know, all the potential in the world, but not quite that, that, uh, that end goal. You know who would have scored that chance? Harry Kane, Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips. Kevin Phillips would have buried that chance. And that's why he will end up in the Hall of Fame. <laughs>